Okay. Um, just so you know, we are now recording so everything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law, okay? Uh, so just be careful what you say about whoever, all right? Um, so you plead the fifth? All right. Um, for those that are listening to this on, we're just trying this. This is something new. So this is, yeah, we're live. Well, it will be recorded. It's Brian is, Brian just hit the record button, okay? So, um, so for those who are listening to this for the first time, this is raw. This is a, this is a, a test here, an experiment. Um, we have, up till now, we have talked about the rapture. We have discussed the seven-year tribulation at length. And now we're getting ready to go into the topic of the Antichrist. Okay. All right. Who or what exactly is the Antichrist? He has been a main character in the premillennial viewpoint for many, many years now. Um, much of him has been said in the Left Behind series, the movies, the books that have come out. Um, he is described as a mysterious evil figure who is walking amongst us even today. Even as we speak, there are many people that believe the Antichrist is in the world, is somewhere walking in the world right now. Uh, many believe that he is the prince referred to in Daniel 9, or the king referred to in Daniel 11, or the second beast mentioned in Revelation 13, or Lucifer in Isaiah 14, or he is the man of sin in Second Thessalonians 2. In our modern day history, many have incorrectly thought the Antichrist to be Mussolini or Adolf Hitler, which I can see why people would think that. You know, Joseph Stalin and the horrors that, that um, those men um, perpetrated. One author says the Antichrist is, quote, the culminating manifestation of Satan. Okay. Uh, as I said, various books and movies have given him names such as Nikolai Carpathia. That is the name, I believe, in the Left Behind series. Don't quote me on that. Uh, another name in some of the books and movies is Franco Macaluso. Another name is Stone Alexander. That just sounds like a good fiction name, doesn't it? Stone Alexander. Okay. Okay, here you go, Courtney. Let's talk about origins and history uh, of what I you know, have been able to determine. Let's go over the timeline as the premillennialists uh, see things. Some of this you should know by now. They believe the first thing that will happen is the rapture, the secret snatching away of the church. After that, they believe that the Antichrist will arise and that he will make a covenant with the Jewish people for seven years. All right. This covenant is one where the Jews will once again take control of Jerusalem. They will once again take control of the temple, the temple mount, and they will reestablish temple worship and animal sacrifices. Okay. The first three and a half years after the rapture is going to be wonderful. It's going to be glorious. Life is going to be great. All the Christians are going to be gone, but for those who remain, the first three and a half years will be wonderful. The second three and a half years, the Antichrist will turn on the Jews and he will turn on the world. Um, he will um, 
initiate terrible persecution that will plague the world, and he will exalt himself above all that is called God. So the first three and a half years is good. The last three and a half years is terrible. There's your seven-year tribulation. We're going to briefly uh, talk about that a little bit more right at the end of this, okay? All right. And then at the end of those seven years, Jesus will return. The Antichrist will be defeated by Jesus in the battle of Armageddon. So realize today, and I kind of grew up with some of this teaching, it is vitally important for those, for the Jews, and for those who believe this, they're always keeping an eye on Israel. Always watching what is going on with Israel. Let me just make a little point about Israel. Um, I believe that as America, we need to support them. We need to back them. They're one of the lone democracies over there in the Middle East. They're just a little guy, and we need to help protect them. Although that little guy has had God on their side for many, many years and has taken care of them, okay? Um, So, but they today, people are looking at Israel because... Um, There are rumors going that they are getting um, things ready behind the scenes to begin temple worship again. Uh, The Bible talks about a red heifer that needs to be sacrificed uh, in the temple and that is to be used in temple rituals and worship. There are reports that people over in Israel are raising red heifers now. That gets people really excited because what it means to them is that the end of time is close. Because if the Jews are getting ready to initiate temple worship again, just like the Old Testament, just like the law, then that means what's getting ready to happen, you tell me. The rapture. Yeah. So when you hear these things, people get all excited and jacked up over that, okay? Um, but remember the words that Jesus says, I, you know, I say these things, do not be deceived. We look at the word of God, we believe what the word of God tells us, and this is our interpretation of it, okay? So that is kind of the timeline of how all this is supposed to happen. Okay. The origins of this teaching of the Antichrist actually began around the 16th century. I think this is kind of what Courtney is going to be talking about. At this time in history, that man right there, Martin Luther, he started the Protestant Reformation movement. Okay. He started that against who? Yeah the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Um, Martin Luther, he was a former Catholic monk and priest. Well, he was a Catholic monk and priest who saw the light, and uh, most of his life he was trying to gain acceptance from God by penance, uh, by almost, um, I want to say self-mutilation, but he would go into times to where he would starve himself. Or he would put himself in extremely uncomfortable physical positions for the longest time just to prove to God that he was worthy of God's love and God's acceptance. Okay, And for years she struggled with this. And um, he did all the rituals and all the ceremonies and everything that the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope said that you needed to do. And then he ran across the scripture verse, I believe in Hebrews, where it says, The just shall live by... And that was it right there. He all of a sudden realized, what have I been doing my entire life? It's all about faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. 
And from that moment on, he turned his back on the Roman Catholic Church. And he started the Reformation movement. Okay? And what began to happen is the people in the Roman Catholic Church, they began to defy, they began to protest, they began to stand up against the church because Martin Luther started this whole thing. He nailed his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg German Church and said, I declare that I am no longer adhering to this. I'm now going to follow the ways of the Bible. Okay, And so whenever he started that, the... um, the people who protested, that's where we get the word Protestant. Okay? When they began to protest against the Roman Catholic Church, that's why it's called the Protestant Reformation. Okay? All right. His conversion started the Protestant Reformation, which began to sweep across Europe and beyond. In the 14th century, and it was probably before that, but in the 14th century, uh, John Wycliffe, wonderful man of God, a translator of the Bible into, I don't know if it was English, but I I believe it was English, so the English-speaking people could begin to read. He began to teach that the Pope was the Antichrist. He wasn't a part of the church. He defied it. He was against everything everything about it. Okay? After Martin Luther broke ranks with the Roman Catholic Church, he too began to preach that the Pope was the Antichrist. And that really started to gain momentum across Europe and in the regions where the Roman Catholic Church was ruling and reigning everything. And if you, if you know anything about history, they didn't have much patience with people who did not adhere to their way of living. Um, millions of people were martyred at, at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. And if anybody has any comments or questions, just just stop me, okay? So, here we have Martin Luther breaking from the Roman Catholic Church, also declaring that the Pope is now the Antichrist, and people are beginning to get on this bandwagon. What do you think, in just your own words, what do you think this teaching did to the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church? What do you think happened? How do you think they handled that? Do you think they just... Why not? Why didn't they just let them go and just let them do whatever? Yeah. Yeah. It, It greatly diminished the influence of the church and the power of the Pope. Okay. Yeah, and, and if we ever do a study on the Roman Catholicism, um, what the Pope, I'm probably speaking a little bit ignorantly because it's in my notes, um, but he is, the Latin word for Pope is vicarious something, something, something. Okay, and what it stands for is um, basically the earthly equal of Jesus here on earth. So the Pope, even back then and even today, believes that they are basically Jesus Christ in this flesh. Okay? Now, that sounds like blasphemy to us, doesn't it? But look at how many millions and millions of people, if they're 
within view sight of the Pope over at the Vatican or just anywhere in the world, people will faint. People will just go nuts because they believe they are looking at Jesus Christ. Okay? Yeah, Becky. Sorry. From what I understand, all right, I'm just going to say this. The Roman Catholic Church has evolved down through the years. Um, I believe that it is possible. I've heard of I've heard of situations to where people in the Catholic Church, they have kind of renounced all of these things that we're talking about. And they've really embraced the message of Jesus. Okay? And I believe Mother Teresa is one of those individuals. She's, yeah, yeah, she knew. I think what she did, she embodied the teachings of Jesus, Becky, and she just made that her life's goal and aim. And so, I, I mean, I'm not saying what, if she accepted Christ as salvation, you know, Savior as we do, I don't know. I'd have to believe that she did. Uh, you know, again, we probably need to do a study on Roman Catholicism because then you have uh, transubstantiation and all the things, all the rituals, and what they believe really happens when you take communion. They believe that the juice that we take when you drink it actually becomes the physical blood of Jesus. Okay? And, and if you don't believe that, then you're almost like a heretic. Okay? So I don't know how far Mother Teresa went with all that. Um, she just embodied the heart of Jesus, and she made that her goal. You know, that's about all I can say about that. Yeah, wonderful lady, though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I can't speak. Right. I don't. I don't claim to know the condition of her salvation of her soul. Um, I, like I said, you know, there, there are threads of truth within the Roman Catholicism, the Catholic teaching, okay? Because, you know, their Bible is the same as ours. They just, they've added a lot more to it, okay? So, you know, the same scripture verses that we use to have someone accept Jesus Christ is in their Bible too. So it's very possible for people to look at this just like Martin Luther did, realize, wait a minute, the just shall live by faith. Now, whether or not they stay in the church, I think it's very difficult to have that light shed and stay in the church. Most people leave the church. Are you going to say something? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Big. Yeah. Yeah. But they do literally look at him as a Messiah. They look at him as right. the person that every ticket ransom comes. Yeah. And that is what they believe for some reason. And it is true. You cannot stay in that church if you want to believe what you do believe. And I can attest to that from my own family, having my dad and my mom left the church because they were like, you can't be Christian 
Right. 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 Let me say this before I forget it, and I know we have some hands up. Um, my my dad, the reason I won't say the condition of people's souls, number one, it's not my job, that's only God. Um, but my dad ran into some, um, um, a Catholic, I think she may have been a nun, I don't know, years ago. But he was around her for some event or, or something, I don't know what it was. And dad said, I got a really good, my spirit was bearing witness with her spirit. And so he said, I, I talked to her, and he said, and it's almost like in secret, it's like, are you a Christian? He asked her that. And she, and she looked at him, and she smiled. She said, yes, I am. And so the two of them began to talk. And he said, I didn't think that was really possible to do in the Catholic Church. And she said, uh, There's, there are reformations taking place within the Catholic Church. Good things happening to where it's evolving, to where they're starting to embrace more of our teaching. So, uh, and so she is someone who has just decided to stay within the Catholic Church, but she might not be doing all that other stuff. But she's embraced the teachings of Jesus. She's embraced his salvation. And uh, she, was, she seemed to be just as saved as you and I are. So it's confusing. I know there's different, different layers to all of this. So I think it's possible, but... It, it's very rare that you could probably stay in the church. Um, I think she had her hand up first. So, yeah, Claire. Um, I had a very good Jewish friend. Uh-huh. And I asked her one day, is she a spiritual person? Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Hey, who, who are we to say that God has not placed it upon their heart to help lead others? So that's between them and the Lord. Kathy? Mm-hmm. Can, can I look at something that might answer that question? I'm going to get out of this. Uh, just, just, just give me a second here, because I might be able to answer that question for you. Um, let me pull this up. I don't want you to see all that. Let, let me let me read this. Okay. Um, hmm. You know, I need some more time to I need some more time to look at this. Uh, I have this in my notes. I'm just not exactly sure where it's at. 
Um, I do know this. Um, they call themselves by the Pope calls uh, it, the Latin is vicarious Christi, which means another Christ. Okay. Um, and that's that's all the more that I'll go into that. Um, Um, basically, I know this from what I've read, and again, there's been some there's been some movement in the Catholic Church regarding this, but uh, basically, um, the Pope, from the statements that have been made, man, so some of the things that I've read, I'm like, oh my word, when you hear them, maybe I can talk about it sometime, you'll go, my goodness. Um, the, I'm paraphrasing here, but they believe that without the Pope, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's how serious it is. Yeah. Because he is God's representation here on earth for the church. And without his ruling, without his overseeing of the church, you have no hope. Okay, I know we've gone off on some rabbit trails here. Um, that's a whole other teaching. Okay, so back to Martin Luther. Back to he broke away, began, he revived the teaching that the Pope is the Antichrist. Number one, we don't believe that. Okay, I don't believe that the Pope is the Antichrist. Okay, so let's just get that out there. Uh, Wycliffe, Martin Luther, I believe that was an erroneous teaching. Okay, but you want the history of the Antichrist, okay? So this infuriated the Roman Catholic Church, and it infuriated the Pope, okay? So here we go. In an effort to combat this trend, the Pope ordered two Jesuit priests named, named Ribera and Al- Alcacer to write something that would counter the Protestant teaching. Got that? Um, by the way, uh, you've heard, I've, I've explained a little bit how they came up with the term Protestant Reformation. Have you ever heard of the term the Counter-Reformation? Some of you have heard of that. That is what the Roman Catholic Church did to counter what the Protestants did. So when you hear Counter-Reformation, that means that's just the, Rome, the Catholics' response to what Martin Luther and, and John Calvin and everybody did down through the years to counteract that, okay? So here are two guys, two Jesuit priests. Um, they were ordered to come up with some kind of a teaching that will reverse all this negative publicity that we're getting, okay? They came out with two different teachings. The first is called the Preterist View. The pre-terrorist view is that which uh, promotes more of a historical view of Revelation. All right? So more of a historical view of Revelation. All right. I'm seeing some people write, so I want to give you time. The next is called the futuristic view, and here we go. This teaches that the Pope was not the Antichrist, but the Antichrist Antichrist is some creature who will come into the historical arena before the second coming of Christ. 
that's where that teaching originates. It originated back in the 16th century by these two Jesuit priests. Okay, This view also holds that there will be an earthly millennial thousand-year reign, too, because it just all goes hand in hand. They pick out certain things of the Bible to make it apply to their scenario. So notice, I've not given you any scriptures yet that this is based on, right? This is just what two men have declared. Yeah. As a baby. Yeah. Right. Right. Kathy always gets me off track. I just got to pour back in. Yeah, the Lutheran Church really mimics and mirrors a lot of the Catholic Church rituals. You can get into some dangerous territory there. Um, you know, now keep in mind when Martin Luther started this, he was just so used to the formality, he was so used to the ritualistic traditions that they, he just kind of incorporated that into the Lutheran Church. That's what was incorporated. He didn't start it. I believe after he passed away, his followers and his converts began the Lutheran Church. Okay. Um, I don't know. You don't. You don't get that out of the Bible. Um, we don't. We don't uh, baptize infants. I won't do that because we believe that baptism is only for those who have accepted Christ, who know that they have accepted Christ. Okay, and uh, so that's why we won't do that. And the catechism—they're just the classes that that they take. Uh, but the Bible says nothing about it. you have to go through cataclysm. Cataclysm. Well, it is cataclysmic, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 Demonstration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you would need to do, Kathy, is take her to some of the scripture verses that talk about baptism. And every situation, it's with adults or it could be a child, whoever comes to that age of accountability. With me, I was five. I understood Christ at five and I accepted Christ at five. But either way, it is, it, it, they are baptized when they know what they are doing. When they understand the gift of salvation, they have accepted him. They do the ABCs, okay? And um, that's what the Bible declares needs to happen before someone is baptized. So there's nowhere in the Word of God that infant baptism can be supported. So go back to the Word of God, okay? Um, All right, so that's where that view comes from, okay? This teaching that began by the two Jesuit priests, It lay dormant for about 200 years until it was discovered by a man named Irving around 1830 who began to promote this message um, of the futuristic view. 
Soon, some of you might remember or know this name, Soon, a man, anybody heard that name? Okay, maybe. Uh, His name is Nelson Darby. Um, He was an Irish Bible teacher from the 19th century. He began to take this theology that Ribera and Alcacer, I feel like I'm Alcacer is what I want to say, Alcacer began, and he began to teach it, and it began to grow. Then um, one of his converts was a man, I know some of you have heard this, okay, was a man named C.I. Schofield. Schofield lived in both the 19th and uh, 20th centuries. He was an American theologian, minister, and author. Um, He is best known for combining his teachings into notes at the bottom of the pages of a Bible that he helped create and translate called the Schofield Reference Bible. Some of you have heard of that. Some of you may have even read that or used that. If you have a Schofield Reference Bible, don't use it. Be careful. I'm just going to tell you don't use it. Because all throughout its pages, you will get notes at the bottom of the page from Schofield that will preach rapture, Antichrist, seven-year tribulation, Armageddon, and all of that. Okay? So I'm not saying that. If you do have it, I'm just saying be careful with that. Okay? Um, Since that time, this teaching, the premillennialist teaching, has become very widespread and is adopted by many Bible schools today. Unfortunately, Schofield's teachings and Bibles have impacted thousands, if not millions, of believers with his flawed teachings. Questions so far? Okay. All right. What does the Bible actually say about the Antichrist? That's really what we want to get to, right? We all go back to the Bible. Uh, The word Antichrist, now get this, the word Antichrist is only found five times in the Bible. And all of these references are contained in just two books, 1st and 2nd John. And we're going to look at them, okay? 1st and 2nd John. All right? So go to 1st John, all right? In your Bibles, it's right before 2nd John. And uh, as you're getting there, let me say this. The Bible was written to be understood, yes? Yes. While God sometimes has used symbols, especially in Revelation, to speak truth, there is nothing contained in the Word of God that is meant for only certain people of higher education. I don't believe that. Nor does he desire for his truth to be hidden hidden or couched in subtle meetings or descriptions that only scholars can unravel. Second Peter says this, no prophecy of the scripture is, is of any private interpretation. Second Peter 1.20, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. What do you think that says to you? It's public. For anyone who wants it, they can find it. So let's break down some passages here. The first passage that we'll break down is 1 John 2. 18 through 26. So let's look at this. 1 John 2. I think we're going to be able to bust through this tonight because we're not going to spend a ton of time and this is pretty straightforward. Okay? 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 26. Here we go. Little children... 
It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued to be with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Ah, that's one observation. Anything else? Yeah, it speaks to antichrists, plural, that existed at the time. If you look at verse 19, it says many antichrists had already went out among them. That's right then and there. Okay? Verse 22 gives a broad, general statement that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is the Antichrist. Okay? Going back to verse 19, let me just read that. They went out from us. So just stop right there. Just the point I wanted to make in case those are listening um, on CD or podcast or whatever it is. Um, It says they went out from us, talking about the Antichrist, plural, okay? Verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So he is just a generalized term referring to anybody who is going to not believe that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. In verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. These antichrists are trying to seduce us away from Jesus Christ. Let's go to the next passage where it is seen. 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6. Let's read this. Starting with verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now again, think of the context that John is writing here. Context, context. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. 
He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Just for time's sake, time's sake, let's uh, think uh, verses 1 and 2. That's telling us it lays the foundation for anyone seeking to stay true in a world of false teachers. Does that apply to just the people in that time? <laughs> no. So John was writing to both them and us. Nowhere does it even indicate that it's talking about one sinister man who is going to one day rise up in the future and overtake the world. It says nothing about that here. Verses 3 and 4 is a generalized statement regarding false teachers. It's pretty self-explanatory. And there were many. It's not aimed at any one man in the future. Notice again, it also says that these teachers were already in the world and in their society. Verse 5, I want you to notice that word right there, they. They. What does that tell us quickly? We've already hit it, but what's that tell us? Yeah, there's more than one. Okay. Tells us that the Antichrist is not one man, but many who were in their world deceiving many. This is meant, this whole passage is meant to warn that generation and is meant to warn the generation of the Barsmill Church of God and beyond. Okay, last passage where it's mentioned, 2 John 7 through 9. If that looks kind of funny, that's because there's only one chapter in 2 John. 2 John 7 through 9. While I'm thinking of it, just a reminder, we'll not meet next week because it's Monday, Thursday. So next Thursday, not Wednesday, we'll have our combined service in there at 7 o'clock. Hopefully you can make that. All right, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Again, another warning regarding false teachers, plural, who were a threat. So uh, verse 9 is another reminder that to overcome these antichrists, we must abide in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And that doctrine is found in only one source, and that's the word of God. Everything that your pastor is saying to you right now, ultimately your responsibility is to search the scriptures to make sure that what I'm saying is correct. Again, understanding this is one of those topics, different people have different interpretations, and that's fine. Um, But be like, um, oh man, my brain is fried. Be like those, who was it that said that they went back and even double-checked what the apostles were telling them? Thank you, the Bereans. We need to be like Bereans. Double-check. You know, when the message was preached to the Bereans, it says they went back and sought the scriptures and sought the law and the prophets to make sure what they were saying was right. You do the same thing, all right? So, by looking at these passages, to me it's obvious, hopefully it is to you, 
that John was battling doctrines and teachings and beliefs that were contrary to Jesus Christ. This deception was not from one man, but many individuals, many groups trying to seduce believers away from the truth. During this time that John wrote these books, there were two main popular beliefs or teachings that were being done, being taught. Gnosticism was one of them. At that time, if you don't know what Gnosticism is, is this. Gnosticism teaches that matter, all matter, which is what the human body is made of, all matter is inherently evil. That's what Gnosticism teaches. So the Gnostics said, because all matter is inherently evil, there is no way that a divine, almighty God would come down and take human flesh in the form of Jesus. They don't, they don't believe that. That was being taught at the time. Another um, teaching was, say that. That sounds good. Docetism. Okay? That teaches that Christ only seemed to have had a human body, but he really didn't. That's crazy, isn't it? Okay? Teaches that Jesus only seemed to have a human body, but really did not. Um, this was some of the things that John was writing about. These were some of the things that John was up against. If you look at that verse 7 again, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So there's the teaching that he was talking about. Both of these teachings resulted in a denial of Jesus as Christ and Messiah. They carried within themselves the spirit and the teachings of someone who was anti-Christ, who was anti-Jesus, who was against that. These passages are only saying that there were and would be many spiritual forces, individuals, organizations that would be against Jesus Christ. That's just it, plain and simple. Okay? Um, what about since that time? Do you think there have been any cults or new religions that have arisen who teach that Jesus was a good man and a teacher, but he's really not the Son of God? Can you think of any? Mormons? Okay. Jehovah Witness? Okay. Yes, I believe they believe he was a prophet, but he wasn't the Son of God. See, that's the key right there. Brock doesn't say it, but the Bible just told us that anyone or any belief or any teaching that does not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, was divine, was the Christ, was the Messiah, is the spirit of the Antichrist. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, what God was saying to John and saying to us, be on guard. Be careful. Okay? Do not fall for the false teachings. And if you notice something, um, actually, let me just go to this. Um, and we're almost done because this, this won't take but a moment. The passages used in the millennial teaching of Antichrist. Let me, uh, let me emphasize that we have to be very careful not to inject something in Scripture that is not there to begin with. 
the importance of a biblical teaching is often shown by the amount of space it is given. Let me say that again. The importance of a biblical teaching is often shown by the amount of space it is given. Thus, it would seem this topic is relatively minor since it's only mentioned five times in two books. Not, not to say that what I just said isn't important, but you know what I'm saying. The love of Jesus is all through the Bible. That's, that's a mega topic. But the Antichrist, um, it's just a generalized topic, okay? Those who sit on the premillennialist camp believe the Antichrist is referred to in these passages. We're not going to talk about them, but they believe he is referred to as the prince in Daniel 9, the king in Daniel 11, the second beast in Revelation 13, Lucifer in Isaiah 14, the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2. But what I find interesting, why I want to put this up here, is do you notice, did John refer to any of those things in what we just read? Why wouldn't he do that? if the Antichrist really was portrayed in these passages as they believe. doesn't make sense, does it? You would have thought that one time he would have said, hey, Daniel wrote about the prince in, in chapter 9. Or um, Isaiah talks about Lucifer in chapter 14. He doesn't say anything about that. Now, let me end with a quick explanation. One example, uh, we, we studied this. Go to Daniel 9. Okay. Go to Daniel 9 and get your tribulation mind on here. Get your tribulation hat and then we'll close with this. In the passage that we hit during the seven-year tribulation uh, study, um, they believe, and we briefly hit on this, but just in case you weren't here, just to remind you, they believe that the Antichrist is referred to in two verses here. Daniel 9, 26 and 27. Let's just read that. It says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And here we go. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm, confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. But on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. This passage is just one example. I told you it was in Daniel 9, the prince. This is one passage where they believe that the Antichrist will make an agreement with the Jews. The first three and a half years will be great, but the last three and a half years, he will turn on everyone. You see where it says uh, in verse 27, okay, in the middle, it says, but in the middle of the week. Do you see that? They believe that is a reference to three and a half years into the tribulation period, the Antichrist will turn on the world. That's what they believe that passage stands for. Okay? But... Based on our study of the rapture, based on where we've been the last several weeks, we believe this to be describing Jesus Christ. When he came and his ministry began, his death, which ended the need for sacrifice, which ended the need for animal sacrifice. Okay? One point of particular interest 
if you notice, the only places where Antichrist is mentioned is in, like I said, the books of First and Second John. So nowhere does he even mention this, the prince in Daniel 7. So um, it would take us weeks and weeks to dive into those passages. Um, I'm not going to do that, but we just completed the Antichrist. He's not one guy. Right. 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 I'm going to go tell Brian to stop recording, and we'll come back and pray. All right.